Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and stand with me, if you will. The reason why we love to stand at the beginning is I just love to pray together, just in reverence. You know what I mean? It's still good. Uh, I want to read James chapter 5, verse 11 real quick. Behold, we consider those, blessed, uh, those uh, blessed who remain steadfast. Everybody look at your neighbor and say steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Isn't he compassionate and merciful? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Holy Spirit, enlighten our spirit today. Let our hearts be ready to receive what you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen, amen. You may be seated if you would. Go ahead and wave hi at your neighbor for the 16th time today. We're just friendly. Whoever streaming, thank you so much for being a part of this. We're going to talk about Job today. Now, before we do that, I want you to look behind me here on the screen. So Pastor Mike has allowed me to preach the last couple of Sundays here, and I believe behind me we've got a picture. So he is not sick. He's not MIA. He's probably eating lobster on the coast somewhere is what he and his beautiful wife Carrie are doing. They've been resting for quite some time. So uh, we just pray that they just get rested up, and then when he comes back, he's just lit on fire, right? Sometimes you just need to get away. So he's been doing that. He sent me that picture. I think he did that to tease me. I don't know. So I went back out into the heat, and he got to stay on the coast. So that's, that's what he's been doing. As, as we begin here, let's look at Job chapter 1. Now, we're going to read some Scripture. It still is okay to read Scripture in church, right? We're going to do that this morning because really to get a grasp of the story of Job, you got to read it, right? I mean, I can sit up here and tell you, and that's part of what I'll do, but we do need to read it. And here, James is looking back in time and saying, now you know the story of Job. Now, some of us might not know the story of Job, but the ones that James was writing to, which was his fellow Jewish people, okay, uh, Messianic Jews, people who believed in Christ, okay, as the Messiah, he looked back and he said, now I know you guys know the story of Job. And, he said, and he, then he brought up this magic word of being steadfast. And today, I'm going to change that just a little bit because we're going to talk about what we see in Scripture. And today, we're simply going to talk about the importance of integrity. It is very, very important. Can I get an amen on that? This is what happens. We feel like many times we're walking through life and everything is okay and the rug has been pulled right out from underneath us. Have you ever been that way? Like you're, you're you know, I mean, you got pretty, you're rocking and rolling with Christ. Everything's good, you know. Seems like some prosperity's happening. Your family's, you know what I mean? And then boom, all of a sudden, you have your hands up in the air and you're worshiping God. And the next minute, you're face down on the ground saying, oh, Lord, oh, me, oh, my, help me. We've, we've, we've studied about the lump up underneath the rug and what that represents and things that we kind of sweep up underneath there that we don't want to address or things that we're scared of or nervous about and then it builds and builds and builds. We've also talked about how that lump can be our talents. God's calling us to something. He's asking us to do something and we're kind of hiding and saying, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. Last week you talked about the process of whenever we begin to bring that stuff out from the rug. What is our human nature like? How does God deal with this? And today it's simply integrity. Today it's simply what happens when you feel like you're the lump under the rug. Have you ever seen those cartoons where the rug is pulled out and then it just kind of drifts down and all of a sudden it falls on that person? And now you feel like you're the only one. I'm sure some of you guys have felt like that. If you don't, 
be of good cheer because you will. <laughs> so save this sermon for something later. But if you're going through something, then I think this will resonate with you. Now, as I was talking to one of my mentors this week, he said, now, Matt, it's important to realize that really what Job faced, many of us don't face. Okay, uh, and, and we'll read that here in a second. But we look into the story and see Job and trials and tribulations and how he acted. Does that make sense? So we want to look in this story and we're drawing from it and understanding that, um, that this is important. Now, some things to think about as we read the story of Job. Job, the first couple of chapters kind of lends us to believe that that might have been a week or two or a month or something like that, not very long. And then really, chapters 3 through 42 is a, is a conversation between him and his three friends that I would not want in my life as my three friends. I think I'd find three new ones. <laughs> but that's the conversation that he's having. And, and we look at this, and scholars really believe that Job's affliction was only about nine months. And it's only about. Like the maximum would have been nine months. Some believe that it could have been um, four months or maybe even two months. So we don't look into the story of Job and have affliction and suffering on our life in a situation that we can't get and think this is just how I'm going to be for the next 40 or 50 years. That's not what we get from the story. Instead, we look in there and we see that God is with us no matter where we go. And if we're faithful with our integrity, God is always faithful. So here, let's catch up with Job chapter 1, verse 6. So Job was a very wealthy man. Some averages 50 to 60 million worth, okay? I would debate there might be a little bit more than that because the oxen that he had knew how to plow a field. It was kind of like a modern-day tractor, really. They were trained, and they... But 50 to 60 million seems to be a good... So that's how much he was, he was worth how, in, in modern day. And he had kids, and he had camels, and he had sheep, and he had donkeys, and he had servants, and he had everything that you think a wealthy guy in the Bible has. And then in one day, it's all gone. Okay, so we pick it up in Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day, and we're going to read through a little bit of 2 here, so let's just go together. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, For where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Now, this is very biblical. I believe it's Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. It says, When the hedge is taken down, the serpent strikes. Okay, so thank God for some hedges in our life, amen? If you're not praying for some hedges of protection around your family, you need to be doing that. If you're doing that, you keep burning that incense. Does that make sense? Let's keep pu pushing it up towards heaven because it's very, very, very real. And we see that. The hedge is taken down, the serpent strikes. Now, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, now this is very important, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So you can take anything you want to, but don't touch him personally. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, you notice that Christ, or God said, I'm not doing that, but you have the permission, okay? Now, in Job chapter 1 through 13, we see all this happen. So let's sum this up. I don't want to read all this necessarily, but it was the day that his sons and daughters, they were all celebrating, and then Job is, is watching and, and, and engaged, if you will, and then uh, one of his servants shows up, and he's the only one to escape, and he said, listen, the oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them, and took and struck down your servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone in here. 
here. So they took all the donkeys and they took all of um, that. And then while that was going on, another servant came up to him and said, you are not going to believe what happened. Fire fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have, have escaped to tell you. And while that was going on, somebody else shows up, another servant that escaped. Yet while speaking there came and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid and, on the camels and took them and struck them down and the servants by the edge of the sword. And while that was going on, Everybody take a deep breath. Y'all feeling him? Y'all feeling his pain here? My goodness, let me get a breath, right? But while that was still happening, yet another said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking at your oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across to the four corners and the house imploded on them and killing all of them. You know, it's one thing to lose some stuff, isn't it? When you start losing people, mm. so you can imagine where Job is at in one day. That the relationships outside of his wife that he knew virtually doesn't exist and three friends that are not very good friends <laughs> virtually doesn't exist. And he's here. And all these things happen. Now let's pick up in Job chapter 1 verse 6. It's not done yet. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan... From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now check this next part. He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incite me against him to destroy him without reason, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his own life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So now, his, now he's lost everything, even his health. So his wife's still hanging around here. His wife's in the mix with him. But he's virtually everything that's, that's lost. Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with, lonesome sore, uh, with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a, oh, this is a man among men, okay? He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. Now, ashes, okay, this, this, is, this is important that we understand this. He's sitting in ashes. He's almost sitting in a garbage heap. Everything around him has been struck down or burned up. So he's sitting here in the middle of this heap, finds a broken piece of pottery, and begins to scrape the bulls off his body. Thank you for that picture, Pastor Matt. Yeah, no problem, anytime, anytime. Y'all ready for lunch? Then his wife said to him, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Same words as God used, just twisted. Sounds like somebody we know. Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Not only say that if you really know that woman you're talking to, otherwise we might be doing a funeral service. <laughs> shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job, now listen, in all this Job did not sin with his lips. Some questions that we might have as we read this story. What God is not. God 
does God do evil? The answer is no. God doesn't do evil. Could Satan really trick God and provoke him into doing evil? The answer is no, absolutely not. So the next question, is God like a mafia boss? Kind of sets behind the desk, you know, keeping his hands clean, sending out his cronies to take care of stuff? (laughs) No, he's not a mafia boss, is he? He's not. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's the reason why it says that the hedge was taken down, and he said, he's in your hands. If Satan wouldn't have done the things, then God wasn't going to do them. It came from Satan. Does that make sense? So as we read in this story, we think about all these things, and the answer is is no. Job remained in this position. He remained in this situation where the rug seemingly just been pulled out from underneath him. And you know how he feels to a certain degree. Maybe not to this catastrophic type, this devastating loss, but you know how when everything is going good, then boop, everything's not going good. God, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been reading, man, I feel like we've been having great fellowship. I see some prosperity happening in my family. I see some great growth, and now we're here. So you know what he, what he feels like. And it's, it's important to understand this word integrity. So if you look it up just kind of in the Webster's Dictionary, you see something about strong moral principles. It's a person with strong moral principles. It's to be whole and undivided. That's what integrity is. But in the Hebrew definition, it goes a little bit deeper, and I love it. It's, it's about innocence. Job sat in innocence whenever Christ looked down and said to him, whenever our God looked down and said to him, he's holding fast to his integrity, He's holding fast to innocence. You know, one of the hardest things is I have an 11-year-old daughter. One of the hardest things that I've found is to protect her innocence. There's so many things in the world that's grabbing at our kids' innocence, isn't it? Trying Trying to expedite their growth, if you will, which is nonsense. And here Job is setting in innocence, and what does that mean? He's setting in innocence that he hasn't sinned before God. His heart is so pure as he stands before God, he's convinced that God could not be a part of this. That everything that's happened to him has happened by another way, another form, another fashion. That's his integrity. How many times have you and I said, God, why did you do this? And it checks our integrity, but here we see that Job was upright before him. It also means full and completeness. So he sat here in his bulls on the trash heap, scraping them off of him, knowing that he had lost everything, and yet he sits in completeness because of his integrity. Hold fast to his integrity. It almost seems like God is trying to show us something, that there's a point in your life when your integrity becomes so important, it's not something you grasp at. It's something that sustains you in the midst of the storm. That our innocence and our integrity pointed towards Christ and saying, I don't understand everything that's going on, but what I do know is I will remain faithful and loyal to you in the midst of it. And that's where we pick up Job. We see that integrity. And and as I look at it, what are some things that I see in here that really helps us guard our integrity? Because we can expect opposition. Can I get an amen on that? 
Oh yeah, there's gonna be some things that come up against us just like with Job. But it's that integrity is God looked down and he saw Job and he said he holds fast to his integrity. Oh, that God would look down on us as individuals and see that we're in the midst of a battle, we're in the midst of something. And he says, keep holding fast because I trust you because when you get on the other end of this thing, if you'll hold fast, there'll be blessings that you don't understand and can't comprehend. That he would say that about us. As Christians, look at that person. They're holding fast to their integrity. Because we all see opposition, and it comes, and it's packaged. Sometimes it comes as a yell. Sometimes you just feel Satan or the world or whatever yelling at you. You hear the whisper saying you're not good enough. You hear the whisper saying just give up, stop going. You see that situation arise, and you think there's no way that I'm going to make it through. Am I talking to anybody today? Help me out here. And we see that we begin to focus, if we're not careful, on the event. Job's integrity caused him to focus on his Savior, the answer, the solution, not the event that was going on around him. As difficult as that is to say, because I'm not Job, I didn't lose ten children. Even when he felt that pressure... Now, what opposes our integrity? What, imposes that it, what opposes that integrity of us that we will continue to do what God has called us to do? First of all, the enemy. The world that is controlled by Satan. We live in a period of time that is rapidly enhancing this idea that Satan is a mythical being. That it's really a representation to teach kids that there really is bad stuff that happens. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that he is real and he means to kill, steal, and destroy. Job chapter 1 verse 7, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered to the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down it. Peter, Peter echoes the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 5 and 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion... The King James Version, you got to love the King James, walketh about. The very thing, same thing that we see in the story of Job is what Peter later on says that we see in our enemy. That he's looking for vulnerabilities, and this is what's interesting. He looks at Job and he feels like he sees a vulnerability that's not there. And once again, we go back to the understanding that Christ sees in Job what, Christ doesn't, what Job does not see in himself. He also sees in Job what Satan does not see. Satan is not all-powerful. He's not in control. Many times we think when we're up against opposition and we feel those things that there's two co-equal things coming at us. Let's get this straight, that our Lord and Savior is the creator of all beings, amen? He is our Savior. He is the one that has all power. <laughs> Satan is not his co-equal. It's not his, his no, no. But he does mean to kill, steal, and destroy. Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, we, we talked about that. He comes back. Now think about this. The first time he walks in with the sons uh, of God, and he's talking to him. He says, think about Job, and he goes after him. And he, he kills all of his livestock. He kills all of his servants. He kills his kids. He destroys his home. He does all of that. And then we pick up in Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And this is what it says. God looks at Satan and says, what you been doing? God already knows, right? He says, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. You just ruin and devastated and destroy somebody's life. And then you're out to do it again. That's the enemy that we face. 
He doesn't care what he destroys, what he ruins, the families. He doesn't care about any of that, does he? It's not our buddy or our friend or just a misunderstood character in the Bible. Amen? True enemy. And we see that here in Scripture. And we see that that is something that will oppose, your, your, that will oppose our integrity. He is the accuser of the brethren. He'll come at us and he means to destroy it and rip us out. Because if he can take that integrity over and make us bend it or, or make us misuse it or, or make us get rid of it, then he's the one with the control. So we have a real, a real person, a, a, real, a real enemy. Number, number two, we see that the next thing that we see as an enemy is the inner circle. We see that Job said, now, this is his wife, okay? Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Be ready that people within your inner circle, now, she would have seen how he ate and slept and dealt with kids and businesses and all this different stuff. She was in the inner, inner circle. Does that make sense? And you need to be ready that at times that will happen. Now, we can't be too critical on Job's wife. She just lost 10 kids. She's looking at her husband, which she loves, in a pile of garbage as he scrapes bulls off of his body. She looks at her livelihood and is gone. So she's in a place that is very human. While she looks at Job. And she says, won't you just curse God and die? And, and that will happen. You will feel shots from your integrity from the people who are closest to you because they won't always understand the situation or let's get rid of them. Maybe they're hurt too. And I learned this a long time ago from my mother-in-law. Hurt people hurt people. That's the reason why we need to be healed before we start doing ministry. And that's the reason why God wants to heal us. Does that make sense? So the inner circle, the next enemy that we see is also the outer circle, the friends. So here comes three of Job's friends. I would not want them at any party I was hosting. So we see that here. We see Eliphaz, Eliphaz. I practiced that and I still got that wrong. It's harder than you think. But this is what he says. He says, you're guilty, Job. I don't know what you've done. I can't see it, but you're guilty. Job chapter 4, verse 5. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you're dismayed. What is he saying? He's asking, are you already becoming wary because what you've seen in other people's lives, God is now doing to yours? And he's beginning to accuse him and saying, you're guilty. Bildad says this about him. Job chapter 8, verse 6. If you are pure and upright, surely there will arouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. He goes into saying, listen, there's something there, man. You just got to repent. You got to repent. You got to repent. And that, that's what he goes on. And then Zophar, okay? You deserve worse. What kind? That's, you saved the best for last. I mean, his friend looks at him. Check this out. Job chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you. Don't, it just sounds so poetic. And that he would tell you the secrets of his wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Now then, what that God exact? Know that then God exacts uh, uh, um, of you less than your guilt deserves. Man, what a friend! I, I really deserve worse than sitting on this pile of ashes, scraping bulls off of my arm as open sores gape, and I've lost everything that I know. Thanks, Zophar. That's what we would do. Come on now. Job's integrity wouldn't let him do that, though. It reminds me of whenever Christ was before Pilate, and he said nothing. He would not down the people. 
So you're going to face some integrity hits. You're going to face people that are very close to you and challenging, and we must be ready for that. It's very real. But what strengthens our integrity? Three quick things that strengthens our integrity. Because we must know that there will be opposition against this. Because this is very effective. Whenever we root our integrity and get it to where we need it, trust me, things amazingly open up in your life because God can begin to trust you more and more. He knows he can handle what he's about to give you. Integrity must be rooted in Christ. Can I get an amen on that one? Yes, Job chapter 2, verse 3, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And then go on, he said, He still holds fast his integrity. It must be rooted in God. It must be rooted in Christ. Even his wife that was in a hard spot still looked at him and saw that there was something that she couldn't see about his integrity that was so deep and so real and so true. And it was rooted in his God. And that's where our integrity comes from. Man's integrity will fade away. Man's integrity, when the heat's on, when the pressure's on, it will crack, it will break, and we will want to go out and do whatever we think we need to do or say what we want to say. But integrity that's rooted in God will put us in that place where we feel like we're on that pile of ashes and things will be coming towards us and we'll say no I know Christ and I'm rooted in him our integrity has to be rooted in him man's integrity is not enough it must start from Christ Matthew chapter 7 verse 25 everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell. Does it sound familiar, what we just sung? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. The integrity of the house was rooted into the rock. So when the winds, just like we sang this morning, and Wayland didn't know this was in my notes, firm foundation, the rain came, the wind blew. My house was built on you. I'm safe with you, and I'm going to make it through. Because my integrity is not set upon man, but it's rooted in Christ. So no matter what you're facing, and I don't know your situation, but I do know it's very real to you. I can't look at somebody else's situation and say, well, that didn't seem very big to me. I don't, have that, I don't have that authority, I don't have that luxury, and I don't have that privilege, do we? Because whatever we're going through is big to us at the time. Am I rooted in Christ? Next thing that we find out that we have to stand your ground. You have to stand your ground. What has God spoken into your life and you stand it? James chapter 5 verse 11. He's speaking to his people and he says, Behold, we consider those who blessed remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. This steadfastness that James keeps talking about and referring to. And he says, listen, stand your ground. You're rooted in Christ. We're not one as the wor world. And the steadfastness, if you do a quick word search, You'll find out in the New Testament means patient, to stay under, to remain under, to have fortitude, to abide, to endure, to superabound. That means despite what's going on, I will stand my ground because I know with Christ I will grow. It doesn't seem like it. The winds blow. The rain comes. But my house is built on nothing less than Christ. So whatever you're going through, you remind yourself of that. It's what Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us. Chapter 11, he's talking, or chapter 6, he's talking about the whole armor of God. He says, number 11, he said, stand against. Stand against what? The wiles of the devil. These things that you know are going to come at you. 
Number thir- uh, verse 13, chapter 6, Ephesians. Withstand the day of, the e- of evil, having done all to stand, stand firm. And just about the time you think Paul's through and telling us to stand, he goes to verse 14 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, and he says, go ahead and keep standing. Stand therefore. So we see this throughout. I heard a story a couple weeks ago. The Cheyenne dog soldiers were fierce warriors. And what they would do is, whenever they knew the opposing tribe would come at them, they would take a stake and they would drive it in the ground. Then they would take 10 foot of rawhide and tie it to the stake. Then they would tie it to their ankle. And they would make up their mind that we're either going to die or we're going to stand our ground. Sometimes we just have to drive a stake in the ground. The Roman warriors were great warriors, and they had a similar thing that they did. They would stand so far apart, pretty much within, with a, within, a, within a sword length, and they would stand, and they knew that this was their area. They knew that they were defended at all costs. And they would take that sword because as fierce warriors, man, they were great with swords. That's how they defended. They preferred that almost other than any weapon. And they would stand, and these elite warriors would stand on their ground, and they would look at their buddy and look at their buddy, and they know that this is their responsibility. And this is what they found out, that the fiercest part of the battle that they would engage in is whenever the people would come into the middle of their circle, and they would begin to have to fight, and that was fierce. If the men began to back up and give up ground, they would become the lone wolf and then they would become subject to death because now they're fighting by themselves. The battle rages in your life right now. The attacks seem to be getting greater. The the fight is at its fiercest. Let me encourage you that you're standing in a circle and you are not alone. God is with you. I know people might look at you and say you're by yourself or you've done things wrong or you don't deserve it. You just remember where the battle is the fiercest is where God will protect us the most. We stake the ground and say this is the ground and I will not move from it. We take our sword and say, this is my area. I will fight. And the third thing that we see that really builds our integrity is we remain in the purpose of God. James chapter 5, verse 11. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. He's, he's writing now. You've got to understand the book of James. It's so amazing. He's writing to people who have been dispersed because of persecution. In chapter 1, verse 1 of James, he, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. He's saying, listen, I'm writing to you guys, and you guys are everywhere. Now, these are the words of James, and, and love me after this, but these are the words of James. This was hard for me to swallow, too. The Jews were living outside of Palestine due to their persecution from the Christians in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen. Remember when Stephen was martyred? It was the Apostle Paul, which was the saw at the time that held the cloaks of the young men who actually stoned Stephen. And all the Christians saw this. And they were scattered. And they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. I mean, this was serious. So he's writing to these people. 
And he's writing and he says, listen, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. What is he saying? I know you're in a tough situation. I know where you, you're where you didn't ask to be. I know that you could say some things and some do some things and run off, but you do not have that luxury. Don't get focused on the event of being dispersed. You keep the purpose of God front and center. And that is very hard. Job, on the pile of ashes, as he scrapes the boils... As he looks at the devastation, as he begins to carry that dialogue even with his wife and now his friends, he keeps the purpose of God foremost with his integrity. I know God is for me. At the root of integrity, that's really what it boils down to, is my God is for me. And I'm going to hold fast to that, despite what everything looks like, despite things that has happened. And part of holding fast to that integrity is as I face these trials, as I face the circumstances, as I face the things that I don't want to face, I'm still keeping the purpose of God before me. And we know his purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. James chapter 5 verse 11 ends this way. See how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If we really want to see the compassion of the Lord if we want to really see the mercy of God, get in the midst of the battle and hold your integrity. Hold that purpose before God and say, I know that you've spoken this to me and this will be what I focus on. I won't focus on the event. I won't focus on the things that I want to do or that I can even justify doing. But rather, God, I'm going to hold fast to my integrity, to my innocence before you that I still believe, despite everybody telling me it's from you, despite people telling me that it's my fault, despite all that, I will hold my innocence that you are with me, God. And when I get on the other end of this thing, you'll still be with me. Compassion and merciful. Job chapter 42 and... 10. Let's fast forward all the way to the, the, to the end of the book. And the Lord resto restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The friends that made fun of him, the friends that insulted him, the friends that told him that it was his fault and he needed to repent, the friends that looked inside of him and saw something that God did not see. It was those friends that he prayed for. And then when he did that, God restored twice as much. Because we see the compassion and the mercy released into Job's life. Because now you can really handle what I want to give you. Now I'm going to restore because I know that the integrity is real. In some ways, it's like God looks at Job and says, I knew that I saw something in you nobody else saw in you. See, the devil thought because I lowered a hedge from you that you were going to give up. The devil thought because your body was touched that you were going to give up and curse me, but I knew better, Job. See, I saw something in you that no one else saw. I saw something in you that Satan didn't see. And he holds fast his integrity. And I want to encourage you this morning. Put your stake in the ground. Mark your territory. And say, God, I'm going to hold fast integrity. It would be easier to leave the job than to listen to all the stuff that's around me. It would be easier to tell my family member what I really think about them. 
It would be easier for me just to give up and quit and the pain and the hurt and the frustration. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put my stake in the ground, grab my sword in the spirit, and say, God, if I die, I'll see you on the other side. But when I get through this thing, it's going to be greater than it was when it started. And I don't know who that's for this morning, but know that God sees your situation. And you've driven this stake, and you've done these things, and I want to say, keep doing them. Hold fast to that integrity that is true and pure. That completeness, it's those moments when you feel, and the whole world's closing on, you still feel peace and you don't understand it. That's that integrity. Because you know my hope is not in me. Our hope is not in us, but it's in Christ. And that's where we really got to begin. Recognizing that Christ is not just a piece of my life. Christ is my life. I've built my house off of the sand, and I've changed locations, and I'm on the rock. My life looks different because Christ is in it. And that's the pure story of salvation. Been watching Chosen, and one of the great things that I saw, and I, I cried when I, when I was listening to Mary Magdala's uh, confession, if you will. And she was talking to what represented as Nicodemus, and she said, just the simplest salvation that you could have. She looked at Nicodemus and she said, listen, I was this way, and now that, I'm, that I know him, I'm this way. Everything in between is him. That I can't explain, but what I do know is this is who I was, and this is who I am. And you can be a who I am. You don't have to stay as you are. Coming to that point where Christ loves me so much that I'm going to accept him into my heart and my life, and then he is really going to become the king of my life. And for my brothers and sisters that are in here, you hold fast to that integrity. If you haven't, you drive a stake in your ground and you make up today that we're going to do it. If you've already driven that stake and you've done those things, stay with it. Don't give up. God sees, he's with you. Tune out what people say. Maybe even tune out some of your friends and family. Can I get an amen on that one? But I'm tuned into what he says. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for this moment that we feel your spirit. And this morning, God, I really feel like You're causing some people to drive some stakes. A sword that was laid down is now being picked up. For some, they didn't know you loved them that much and you cared for them, but now they do. And as we sit in your presence here, God, I ask for your sovereign hand to continue to move. It's your presence that opens up the heart. It's your presence that allows us to be real and true of who we are. And I pray that we would do that now as we set before you our life. And if we've done that, God, then we set before you our struggle. You know it. But God, we cling to the integrity that innocence, that completeness that we only find in you.
that these things that happen is not your fault. But you're going to help us through them. You're going to give us the words to say. You're going to help us hug people when we don't feel like hugging people. You're going to help us compliment people when it's difficult. You're going to help us stay at our job when we want to leave. You're going to help us rebuild our marriage when it's easier to run. You're going to help us see something in our kids that we didn't see before. And we're going to hold to that integrity that you're God and that you're sovereign and that you see our situation. Would you stand up as all across the sanctuary? I'm going to ask my altar workers to come down front if they would. Now, as they come down front, if you want to be released to your, from your seat just to come down here and pray, for whatever reason, I want to do that right now. I want you to come down. I know it's hard to move, but I want to give you that opportunity. God knows what's going on in your life. But I, I, I do want to, I know we do this, but I know how hard it is sometimes to walk down front. I know that some people would think, man, I, I've never done this before. I'd walk down front if, if half my section went. But I also know that sometimes I just need to be down front with my spouse, with my child, and say, God, we're standing. So what I want you to do, if there's anybody else, please come down here. We, we want to pray with you. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you just be released from your seats just to come down here with, with, with your family, with your spouse, with your friend, and just stand at the front and pray? I don't want to coerce you, but I certainly want to encourage everybody that would. Come down here and lay your hands on a shoulder. Maybe you're good where you're at, and that is awesome. Just come down here and lay your hands on a shoulder and just pray. Say, God, you know what they're going through. Because I have a suspicion that you guys who knows what it's like to have that integrity attacked is a very difficult thing and you don't want to face it alone. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, we just come to the altar for many different reasons that are represented here, God. And our job is not to judge. Our job is just to love and say, God, please move in their situation. Move, God. Move in only a way that you can move as they stand in integrity, God. As they stand knowing that you're with them as Job did. We don't know the rest of the story, but what we do know is that you will not leave us and you will not forsake us, God. And you see the heartbreaks for children. You see the heartbreaks for spouses and family. God, you see the heartbreaks for friends, God. And we cry out from the north and the south and the east and the west, God, that salvations would come into the house, God. But Father, you see the pain. You see the people who that rug has just been ripped out from underneath them and now they're dealing with physical conditions they haven't had to deal with. They're dealing with mental issues that they haven't had to deal with, God, and it's very real to them and they're trying their best and I pray that your encouraging spirit would just come all over them and embrace them and wrap them in your love, God, as they recognize that you're with them and you're moving on their behalf. And Father, what they're going through right now, it's not from you. Because we can't be tested or tempted from you. 
But what we do see is the midst of all of that is compassion and mercy. So God, just pour on your compassion. Pour on your mercy. And God, let us get excited as we look at things around us and say, you know what? This is what I'm losing, but I know that God will restore twofold. So we hold fast to that integrity. Father, thank you for your wonderful grace, what you're doing at the altar in the hearts of your people. Thank you that we feel a very great presence this morning. Father, whether they're in the seats or at the altar, God, continue to do that work in them. Father, as we go out this next week, we pray that our hearts are just ablaze for you. In our jobs, with our families, God, let our light so shine before men. And let us declare your good works. Father, we thank you that we're not forgotten, that we're known by you, that you have your hand on our life and you're taking us through in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.